Those whom the Lord has ransomed will return and enter Zion singing, crowned with everlasting joy. They will meet with joy and gladness. Sorrow and mourning will flee. The foundation is faith. Right? If if we have that relationship of faith with the Lord, to where we can build up trust with Him and take Him at His word and allow Him to reveal Himself to us and our own selves to us as well. Hope springs from that. Because then we believe His promise of everlasting life. We can find Him as that light shining in the darkness and the result of that faith and that hope is joy. Because I can always find joy if there's one who knows me completely and loves me totally. If there's one who in every single situation I know is going to be there with me, I can sing for joy. And so today, the church bids us every year on this day to rejoice. Those are the first words of today's liturgy is rejoice. But it can be hard sometimes, can't it? Especially because we think of joy as just the fleeting emotion of happiness. We, we think of it as just those good feelings, and those good feelings aren't always there. And in fact, we might have one of those years where they're almost not there at all. Maybe it was one loss followed by another loss, followed by another loss. Maybe it was recovering from an illness only to fall ill again. Maybe it's been financial difficulties that just, you just can't seem to be freed from. Family strife, maybe a brother or sister you haven't talked to for decades. Children who have left the faith and you think you're racking your brain for how can I bring them back. And you just can't think of anything. And when you stay awake at night, guilt creeps in. There are so many things that try to rob us of our joy. And today the church says, gather all those up. Bring them all here. Hold them captive and give them to the Lord who is the God and source of your joy. Don't let them rob you of joy anymore. Because joy is more than just being chipper. Right? Just having that smile plastered on your face all the time, even if inside you're going through a lot. No, sometimes we think that we're not joyful people because we're not giddy all the time. Or we have more of a melancholic disposition, and so we think joy's for someone else. But friends, joy is more than that external smile. Joy is more than that passing feeling. No, joy is the presence of Jesus and the strength that that brings. I'm talking about resilient joy. Joy that whatever the, the world and life throws at us, we can take without being crushed. Because we know that one who loves us is with us. One who is strong is carrying us. Very often, the world will define joy as the absence of pain and suffering. But joy is not the absence of suffering. Joy is the presence of Jesus in the midst of that suffering. Because how many people do we have, do we know, who seem to have all of everything together? They have comfort. They have security. They might even have popularity. They might have so many friends, so many people that would do anything for them, but they don't have joy. 
They have the absence of a lot of suffering, but they might not have the presence of Jesus in the midst of all that they have. And everything else looks cheap and artificial if the light of Christ is not there to illuminate. And so we bring all that has robbed us of our joy to the Lord today. And we realize there's so much out there. There's a lot of suffering and uh, dysfunction in the world. We could look at it in a global way. There are still wars, famines, atrocities being committed. But then you look at just our country and you say, oh, yeah, there's some dysfunction there. Maybe the state level, oh, city level, oh, family level. Everywhere I look, there's stuff that's trying to rob me of my joy. And what is my response to it? Far too often, anger. We're an angry people. My goodness. It seems to just increase every year. You disagree with me, I cut your head off. Right? You, you, you say something to me, or you post something online that I don't agree with, and oh, the gloves come off, and I just start fiercely typing as the culture warrior that I am, because I am going to prove you wrong, and prove myself a fool in the process. Because all seven of my followers already believe what I have to say anyway. Right? We, we just get trapped in these echo chambers, in these online fights, and we watch the news, and just the cycle of anger continues, and we end up being shells of the people we once were because we think that the main response to evil in the world is anger. But today the Lord shows us another way. The most effective response to dysfunction in the world, in your family, in your life, is joy. That joy that recognizes the presence of Jesus and that brings that presence more into sight for others. Because when I just see red, and I'm just so mad because this person is doing the wrong thing, or that person just disagreed with me, or whatever the case may be, I'm not looking at Jesus. I'm looking for vengeance. I'm looking for vindication. I'm looking to prove that I am right, instead of turning to Jesus and saying, man, I hate that this is happening. Or, ah, this really, ah, this is aggravating to me. Those kind of very real prayers are still turning the heart to Jesus and opening ourselves up to joy. To be able to see something that that our plans just blew up in our faces, and instead of getting so mad about it, looking at Jesus and realizing he's kind of laughing right now, like, yeah, I tried to tell you that was a dumb plan. And for us to join him in chuckling and saying, like, yeah, you're right. Instead of getting so caught up, so nervous and anxious and then angry and frustrated, we can turn to the Lord in the midst of every day's troubles and see if there's anger on his face or if he has that glint in his eye of saying, you know what, I got you. We're still in this. I pray that we can learn to turn to him in those difficult moments and there in his eyes find joy. But I also hate to break something else to you. You know what the main reason is that you're not happy? It's you. Yeah, sorry. It's your fault. And you might say like, oh, Father, how dare you? I come here to feel good about myself, not to have you say those those things. Come on, I'm in church. I don't mean you're a bad person. No, you're all better people than I am. What I mean about you robbing yourself of your own joy 
It's because you are the ultimate one that decides where you're focusing, where your attention will go. You are the one that decides, am I going to fixate on everything that's wrong, or am I going to turn to the Lord who can make things right? Am I going to drown myself in news or immerse myself in the good news of the gospel? Am I going to focus on everything that robs me of my joy or am I going to focus on the Lord who is the source of my joy? An example of this could be Joseph and Mary making that trek to, uh, to Bethlehem from Nazareth. He had every right to be angry that whole journey. Nothing was going right. And I think we've all been in a situation like that. Where things beyond our control mess up our plans. And who do we point the finger at? First to God, then the government, and then everybody else. And maybe finally, if we have energy enough at ourselves. He could have been so mad at God. He had his plans for his life. And they were messed up by the angel Gabriel. By Mary's obedience to God's plan. He could have been resentful toward the Lord. Why me? Everybody else gets to have a normal marriage. Why is mine strange in this way? Wondrous, miraculous, but strange. He then could have been so mad at the government. I mean, they're forcing him with his wife in the third trimester of their pregnancy to go cross-country dangerous journey, not even knowing if he's going to have a place for them to stay. He could have been griping the whole time, mad at God, mad at government, but instead he fixed his eyes on the most beautiful sight he would ever see, his bride, Mary. He was able to look down and see that the God of the universe was there in her womb and fixated on that rather than wherever Caesar was or Herod was. He didn't care. What they did, even if it affected him, didn't affect him so much that it could rob his joy of what God was doing silently. He's our model in being able to turn to Jesus in the midst of all of the things that would rob us of our joy and instead there be able to receive the joy God has for us. I love Advent and Christmas hymns. Because they're so centered upon joy. All of the prayers of Advent, like the the beautiful song with which we begin our Masses during Advent at this Mass, there's this expectation that the Lord will be coming. But then the one that we're going to do, I think, for the meditation today, O Come Divine Messiah, it's been one of my favorites ever since I first heard it. as a teenager at at my home parish where I grew up. Because it is filled with such joy. And and I, I wonder why we don't meditate on the hymns a little bit more. Sometimes we just let them be sung. We don't even reach for that hymnal to look at the words because we think, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to croak this one. Like, uh, uh, let the people with good voices sing and I'm just going to stand here and just wait until it finishes. No, 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 no. This is our chance to be able to sing praises to God and if he gave you whatever voice he gave you, you give that right back to him. And if he wants to make it better, that's on him. <laughs> right? But, but you give him what he gave you. But also in moments when maybe we've come to church a little bit early, we've already said our greetings to the Lord, we're sitting there preparing ourselves to offer ourselves in the sacrifice, 
we might do well to open up that hymnal and read through these beautiful poems and see if they don't strike a chord in our heart. And so we see, imbued with deep joy, O come divine Messiah. It reads, O come divine Messiah, the world in silence waits the day when hope shall sing its triumph and sadness flee away. Dear Savior, haste, come, come to earth. Dispel the night and show thy face and bid us hail the dawn of grace. O come, divine Messiah, the world in silence waits the day when hope shall sing its triumph and sadness flee away. Isn't that what we yearn for, that hope may sing its triumph, that we may see the face of Christ, that sadness flees away because the source of all joy is here with us. And we, in one swift prayer, at any given moment in our lives, in the midst of the worst difficulties, we just turn the heart to Jesus and we glance at his face and see there a glint of joy because he is still in control. In the gospel, Jesus had referenced John the Baptist. I mean, the the whole story was about John the Baptist sending his disciples to be able to uh, ask Jesus, is he the one? But John the Baptist is such a great Advent figure because what are the words that he says in his ministry? He says, repent, believe in the gospel. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent could be replaced with rejoice. Because that's what repentance does. It opens us up to joy. Last week I mentioned that repent basically means take hold of the hope that you have before you. Believe in the Lord and His promise. And if you believe in that, hope springs up in your heart. But with that comes joy. That joy that's only unlocked in repentance. Because sin is the source of our sadness. It turns us away from God, against other people, and then in on ourselves. The Lord wants to break us out of that self-imposed imprisonment so that sadness may flee away. And it flees away every time that we go into that confessional. And the Lord restores our joy. In that moment, He says, there is reason to rejoice because you, whom I have always seen the beauty in, you haven't seen that beauty for a long time. You've only seen the ugliness of this action or that one, this thought or that one, this deed or that one. I want to restore the beauty, restore the glory, restore the joy. He wants to be able to have hope sing its triumph over us, and that's what he does in that confession. So I pray that during this Advent season we give him the chance to do that. How else can we grow in joy? Well, we look to the source. The last two weeks we've read through the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. There we have learned to grow in our faith by learning who this Jesus is. Hope has sprung up within, him, within us. In the Gospel of Mark, for example, seeing all these powerful works and wonders. This week we can read the Gospel of Luke. That joy-filled Gospel where we see some of the most touching scenes in all of Jesus' life, some of the most piercing parables that he has to tell, to teach us how to allow joy to grow in our hearts. You might say, I'm too busy. Well, you can find an audio recording of it. 
And you can listen to the gospel on your way to work and back from it. You can listen to the gospel on your, uh, when you're in bed getting ready to sleep. You can let the Lord sing you that lullaby of his love before you drift off into sleep. Or you can sacrifice some of the time that you give to bad news. Right? Maybe you disconnect the computer or the TV this week from news. Maybe you don't scroll the social media as much and instead you say, until I finish the Gospel of Luke, I'm not going to tap into all of these other things that often rob me of my joy, but instead I'm going to receive joy from the Lord who gives it so freely. So that in me, in my repentance, hope may sing its triumph. And from me, because of the presence of Jesus within me, sadness may flee away.